0: Good afternoon from USC's Annenberg Media Center, and welcome to From Where We Are from Annenberg Radio News. For Thursday, September 21st, 2017, I'm Nadia Caldwell. First, a news update with Tommy Durkin.
1: Hurricane Maria continues to work its way through the Caribbean today, with Puerto Rico receiving the brunt of its force. The island nation, which was already declared a disaster area after Hurricane Irma, is now completely without power. Relief efforts in Mexico City continue following a deadly 7.1 magnitude earthquake. At least 250 people died in the quake. As the search for survivors continues in Mexico, aid organizations around the world are appealing for donations. As Lauren Floyd reports, some USC students are doing their part.
2: In the aftermath of the earthquake, many groups have been collecting food, clothing, and medical supplies to send to survivors. While those things are still important, there may be a more useful thing people can do, says Fernanda Quezada.
3: We believe money goes a longer way rather than in-kind donations. Why? Because here, if you buy a, a bag of rice, beans, whatever you can buy, with that money you can buy three or four in Mexico. Quezada and a group of other concerned students
2: came together to collect donations. They've set up a collection table under a tent near Tommy Trojan. They're encouraging students to donate to two main organizations, Rescue Brigade Topos and Red Cross Mexico.
3: One, five dollars, like even five bucks can make a huge difference down there.
2: Angeline Pan, head of philanthropy at the USC chapter of the American Red Cross, says it's important for students to help. Because one day we might be the ones that need the help. Quezada says she and the other organizers plan to run the collection table near Tommy Children every day for the next two weeks. For Annenberg Radio, I'm Lauren Floyd.
1: California is long overdue for a major earthquake, But do you know what to do if the ground starts shaking? Today, police officers, firefighters, EMTs, and USC's disaster relief teams line Truesdale-Parkdale dispensing information and advice about what to do in case of disaster. Annenberg Media's Maya Telez reports.
4: The emergency preparedness fair takes place every year. Its aim? To educate students, staff, and faculty about what to do in the event of an emergency. This year, a lot of the focus was on earthquake safety.
5: I think they're really good reminders for us to make sure that your kit is ready, to make sure that your kit has the supplies you need.
4: That's Sam Rodriguez, Associate Director of the Department of Surgery at Keck School of Medicine. Southern California is no stranger to earthquakes. A 3.6 earthquake rattled Westwood earlier this week, but that was only a fraction of the size of the one that struck Mexico City. So is L.A. ready for the big one?
5: I think most of California isn't prepared, unfortunately. I, I'm hoping that everybody that passes by and looks at our table actually you know, does decide to create a kit and, and get ready for one.
4: Students and staff will have another chance to practice for the next big earthquake next month when USC holds its annual Trojan Shakeout Drill. On October 19th, those taking part will drop, cover, and hold on. For Annenberg Media, I'm Maya Teyes.
1: A team from the L.A. County Fire Department arrived in Mexico City this morning as part of the earthquake relief effort. The 67-member unit departed late last night after the Mexican government formally asked for aid. The team will help with search and rescue efforts in the city. They bought search dogs, a doctor, and paramedics in addition to firefighters. One official from the L.A. County Fire Department says the unit packed a semi-chucks worth of equipment. Tonight, temperatures will drop to a low of 61, with clear skies and a chance of scattered showers. Tomorrow, skies will be clear and sunny with a high of 76. As the week comes to an end, temperatures will continue increasing, with the skies remaining clear and sunny for your weekend. Facebook is handing Congress the contents of 3,000 ads bought by a Russian agency. The social media giant is bowing to pressure that it be more forthcoming with information that could shed light on possible interference in the 2016 presidential election. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says Facebook will make political advertising more transparent by allowing users to find out who bought ads that appear on the social media site. Karen North is Director of digital media, Social Media Arts at USC's Annenberg School.
2: What Mark Zuckerberg is saying today is that he wants you, he wants all of us to be able to receive an ad that's targeted and crafted for us, and then click and see that candidate's ads or that company's ads uh, that were displayed to other people. Therefore, we can see whether a candidate or a company tells us one thing and tells another audience something else.
1: The top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Panel is praising Facebook's decision. Virginia Senator Mark Warner says he's still planning to propose legislation to prevent foreign election interference in social media. Governor Brown's plan to transform California's water system may have received a fatal blow today as a powerful group of California farmers voted to withdraw its support. The $16 billion proposal would deliver water from the Sacramento River to farms and cities in central and southern California via two 35-mile-long tunnels. The farmers cite high expenses, as well as skepticism of logistics spelled out under the plan. Today, comedian and ventriloquist Jeff Dunham received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Trevor Denton reports. You know when you see that car on the showroom
6: floor just before you take it home? Yeah, that's as good as it's ever going to look. Jeff
1: Dunham is one of the highest-grossing comedians of all time. He just released his latest comedy special, Relative Disaster, on Netflix. His Spark of Insanity tour from 2007 to 2010 holds the record for most tickets ever sold for a comedy. Some of his more well-known puppet characters include Grumpy Old Man Walter, Jose Jalapeno, and Ahmed the Dead Terrorist. For Annenberg Media, I'm Trevor Denton. The endangered California condor species is slowly recovering after coming close to extinction. According to federal officials, the species is currently roosting in the Blue Ridge National Wildlife Refuge in southern Nevada for the first time in 40 years. The species was nearly decimated after hunting, habitat destruction, and lead poisoning dwindled their numbers. However, the bird is beginning to make a comeback, with officials planning to release more into the wild in 2019. It's six minutes after the hour. I'm Tommy Durkin.
0: Thanks, Tommy. Coming up on From Where We Are, three years ago, Scotland voted on its independence. Coming up, we'll hear about another country going through the same thing. Jewish people around the world are making Rosh Hashanah the Jewish New Year. It's the beginning of a 10-day period of prayer, self-examination, and repentance. Jean Wong looks at how the, ho- the Jewish community at USC are feeling about the holiday. The shofar is the ram's horn.
5: And uh, it's the, the symbol of Rosh Hashanah of the
0: New Year.
7: Rabbi Dov Wagner is standing in the lobby of the USC Haba Center. He says the curved horn he's holding in his hands is a reminder
5: engaging in that relationship with God, as well as the wake-up call uh, to get woke.
7: This year, getting woke might have a different meaning for the Jewish community. The Anti-Defamation League reports that anti-Semitic incidents in California increased last year by 21%. Aaron Breitbart, a senior researcher at the Museum of Tolerance, since this recent incidents remind Jews the world is not a perfect place.
8: We have to do what we can. We can't just, you know, sit around and say, God, take care of this. That's not how God works in Jewish tradition. And uh, there is a a Jewish tradition of, you know, making the world a better place.
7: In the kitchen of the USC Halal Center, cooks are preparing the holiday meal, chopping fruits and vegetables, with the smell of beef cooking on the stove.
3: For us, we are coming together as a community in, in eating together and celebrating together and praying together. Um, and with all of that is to give a message of peace, of love and prosperity for a great new year.
7: Rabbi Ashley burns Hafez of the Hillel Center says the holiday is an opportunity to reflect on values.
3: We're really putting um, importance this year on social justice work. We're partnering with some other outside organizations um, of how we can think about the world, can use the values of Judaism to help our, our neighbors and the people in our community.
5: Every year brings its challenges, every year brings its blessings. Uh, definitely there have been some, some scary moments in the past year, but uh, but to me, Rosh Hashanah is about new beginnings, is about focusing on the light and the positive in our world and making sure to increase that.
7: After Rosh Hashanah, Jews will begin preparations for the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, begins September 29. For Annenberg Media, M. E. Jing Wang.
0: Along with Rosh Hashanah, today is also the official Islamic New Year. Olivia Sandusky reports on the holiday's history and celebration in Los
3: Angeles. In Islamic culture, the date of the new year changes annually based on the lunar calendar. The new year, which begins tonight, ends tomorrow night and marks the beginning of the first month of the Islamic calendar. Fatma Hafiz is a teacher at the Southern California Islamic Center.
8: We have regular food, regular day, celebrating by remind ourselves about a very big event happened in Islam, which is the migration of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from Mecca to Medina, which is a turning point, uh, was a turning point in Islam.
3: Abdul Hafiz said she enjoys teaching Muslim youth about the new year because it's important to Islamic culture and history. The first month of the new year is Muharram, which marks the time of mourning for Muhammad's cousin, Imam Hussein, who is beheaded in a battle. Iram Jafri is a senior at USC.
7: We go to the mosque and we have processions, we have speeches, we recite poems, and we all kind of gather together as a community to um, commemorate his death and what he did for the community.
3: While other Muslim holidays like Eid al-Fatir and Eid al-Adha are more lively with feasts and music the new year is more of a reflective day. Despite the lack of celebration, people of the Islamic faith still believe new year is an important event to observe.
7: It's very important to my community and my religion and my identity as a Muslim as a whole, so I do make time.
3: After the celebration, the new Islamic calendar year will continue until September 11, 2018. For Annenberg Media, I'm Olivia Sandusky.
0: California may become the first state to ban pet shops from selling animals bred in so-called puppy mills, which are large-scale commercial dog breeding facilities. Supporters of a bill are waiting for the governor's signature. They say it will help cut down on the number of pets that end
9: up in shelters. Serena Ho reports. At West Los Angeles Animal Shelter, there are rows and rows of cages. Inside each cage is a dog, cat, or bunny, in need of a home. But getting people to take these animals can prove tough, says Michelle Kelly, a volunteer at a shelter.
0: It is terribly important that we support rescue and adoption rather than specific um, breeds, and definitely we don't want animals to be coming from poppy mills to be supporting the, the um, mills where animals are bred indiscriminately.
9: Assembly Bill 485, introduced by Assembly Member Matt DeBobney will ban pet shops from selling dogs, cats, and rabbits bred in large-scale commercial facilities known as puppy mills.
10: They're mass-producing animals in very inhumane conditions with a lot of health risks, both uh, in terms of how they're bred and because of the genetics of the way they're bred.
9: Instead, pet shops will only be allowed to sell pets that have come from animal control agencies, shelters, or rescue groups.
10: What we can do that uniformly kind of helps cut off the demand is by creating alternative sources of pets for pet stores and for consumers. And that's by going to Humane Breeders, if you're looking for a specialty pet, helping to create partnerships with our many rescue facilities that are overflowing with pets, and helping to inform, obviously, consumers about where these pets are coming from.
9: The Bubney says the city of Los Angeles and West Hollywood already have similar rules on the books, but not everyone supports the bill. Dustin Seegans is a spokesperson for the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council. He says that they are good breeders and that a bill would put them out of business.
1: We defend ethical commercial breeding, but a lot of organizations don't
2: believe in commercial breeding. They believe it's all unethical.
9: The council is calling on Governor Jerry Brown to veto the bill. The governor has until October 15th to make his decision. For Annabelle Media, I'm Serena Hope.
0: Blue Bottle Coffee has long been a beacon of high-quality brews. Now, transnational company Nestle has acquired a majority stake in the business. Mary Page Nesfeder has the reaction.
11: It's a
12: relatively quiet morning in the Arts District as customers line up for a coffee and pastry.
10: Blue Bottle
13: was that very high-end, superior product.
12: That's John Secretan. He owns the cafe across the street and has been following Blue Bottle since it began almost 20 years ago in San Francisco. The news that Nestle has bought a majority stake in the small company does not surprise him, but it does change his opinion.
13: And now when you see that a company like Nestle bought it and it has the controversy surrounding it, it knocks it down a notch in your mind.
12: Blue Bottle Coffee is known for its artisan blends and high-quality ingredients. As for Nestle, not quite. The company has frequently been criticized for its questionable practices, like bottling California water during the drought. But still, from a business perspective, the deal makes sense.
13: I have no problem with a takeover like that and, and somebody moving forward, but I do think it puts it into a new perspective. It's like Starbucks. I don't, you know, Starbucks has a different perspective than what I had of them when they were in Seattle.
12: Starbucks, Pete's, Coffee Bean, all three started as small businesses and have succeeded as they've grown internationally. USC professor Gabriel Kahn thinks that it's likely Blue Bottle will be the next.
9: So the brand now suddenly has a huge owner that can invest in the company and grow it to new locations, and if they feel they've got something that works with consumers, uh, they now have the resources to push it out.
12: Khan also believes that Blue Bottle's consumer base is solid and that Nestle knows what they're doing.
9: This is certainly not the first time that Nestle, General Mills, some other giant food company has bought a quote-unquote authentic small brand. That's often why these brands start up, to see if they can attract an investor the size of Nestle.
12: However, consumers are noticing the trend and some aren't happy. USC student Louis Keene thinks these types of business deals have become too common.
9: It's
1: still kind of disappointing to think that a lot of the companies that kind of start up and have their own model of doing food or whatever kind of business they're doing are just being absorbed into these bigger,
13: multinational corporate entities.
12: But so long as the coffee tastes good, John will keep coming.
13: Will I still go to Blue Bottle? Probably.
12: For Annenberg Media, I'm Mary Page Nesfetter.
0: California Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass visited USC this week for a conversation about U.S. citizens, the media, and politicians in a post-factual era. Eton Wallace spoke to Bass for this week's edition of Match Volume.
14: Good afternoon. I'm Eitan Wallace with USC Annenberg Media, and today... I am privileged to be joined by the Honorable Karen Bass of the 37th Congressional District. Madam Congresswoman, thank you for taking the time. You also serve in the State Assembly, I should add, and as the Assembly Speaker. We're here today at this event talking about citizenship and why it matters in, in our nation. And if you could talk about what is the role of us as the people, and specifically, what is the role of the young people? We well, have? young
15: people lead the world, so the role of young people is to lead, and um and my role as a, a person from an older generation is to be there for younger people, to uh, provide them the support they need, to share experiences, and uh, and to help them take their place in the world.
14: And a lot of those young people on this campus are actually DACA recipients. Do you have a message to DACA recipients today on this campus?
15: Yeah, DACA, DACA recipients, you know, uh, it is a, a wonderful example of a movement that moved U.S. culture, Because I will tell you, six years ago, even Democrats weren't fully in support of DACA students. And now you have Republicans scrambling over, we have to protect these kids, but we don't exactly know how. That's a tremendous advance. Now, we obviously have more to go. So I would just encourage the uh, DACA students to keep up the struggle. Uh, They have made tremendous gains, and I believe that we will be successful.
14: How do you feel the Democrats have positioned themselves uh, and... Uh, What is their relationship like with one another, with Republicans, and with the president?
15: Democrats have been united, as has most of the country in terms of, um, I think it's kind of ironic that uh, Trump actually did what he said he was going to do. He said he was going to bring the country together. And ironically, he has brought the country together. He's brought the country together in opposition. Uh,
14: What is your message to those who say, well, they support uh, Donald Trump and or to Republicans?
15: Well, my message to Republicans is please take your party back. Uh, Your party has been uh, hijacked and you need to take it back. And then uh, my message to people who support uh, Trump is, um, you know, beware, because I think the things that he ran on, if you were running, hoping he was going to um, increase our economy and jobs and all those other promises, um, don't hold your breath. Uh, And then also, you know, we we welcome you back um, to the other side.
14: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here, Madam Congresswoman. It means a lot. For all of us at Amber Media, I'm Tom Wallace. Thanks for having us in and have a great day, everybody.
0: Now it's time for The International Current, a deeper dive into news from around the world.
5: Catalonia is trying to divorce Spain, but, well, Spain is basically refusing to sign the divorce papers. Welcome to The International Current. Today, the Catalonian referendum for independence, what has happened and how we got here. I'm Ryan Thompson. Tensions are rising across Spain, two weeks before the Catalonian region is set to go to the polls and voters will decide whether they want to be an independent nation. Government officials in the capital city, Madrid, have long insisted that such a move is illegal. In the past 48 hours, they've reiterated that message, saying that they're doing all that they can to prevent the referendum from even taking place. Yesterday, Spanish police raided the offices of the Catalan region of government, arresting 14 people in total. Supporters quickly took to the streets in Barcelona to protest. Overall, it's a lot messier than any other referendum for independence that we've seen in recent history. Mira Borrell is a fellow at the London School of Economics. She's also Catalonian. She joins me now to break this down. To start, how would you explain Spain's reasoning for trying to block this vote?
8: (laughs) Okay, um, yeah, that's a difficult question because I don't understand it myself. But the way I see it is that they stick to the current Spanish legality and that means that a referendum, unless um, it is approved by the Spanish Prime Minister and the Congress, Spanish Parliament, it's not possible. They have the key to allow for a referendum and so they hold the key. The Catalans are asking, can you use the key to open the door? And they say, no, the door is locked.
5: The Spanish government insists that a unified Spain is the only option. The finance minister told the Financial Times that Madrid won't even talk until independence is off the table. And for a long time, Catalonia was on board with that. How did we get to this point of an actual referendum for independence?
8: I think Catalan society before 2005 was mostly against independence. In 2005, there was uh, this new uh, Catalan constitution drafted, uh, it received, uh, it was overwhelmingly approved by the Catalan people, the Catalan parliament, the the Spanish uh, and and Spanish uh, parliament. Uh, But then five years later, it was uh, severely watered down by a highly politicized uh, constitutional court um, on demand of the right-wing party, the Partido Popular. Um, And in here, uh, independence, started to, to grow. So more and more people wanted independence, and now we are, are at around half of the voters want independence, half of the voters don't want independence.
5: The referendum has been framed by the media in a number of different ways. We've seen the Catalonian press say one thing, Spanish press say another, and international media say something completely different.
8: Yeah, that's that, that's very interesting. So. So I guess we could say the the Catalan media or the newspapers uh, who are more pro-independence in a way, um, obviously they frame it as um, a breach of civil rights, breach of freedom of expression, uh, talking about this, uh, this, the latest events. Um, the Spanish media fra- frame it as... Uh, it's a bit a split, right? So the most, um, uh, we could say... Left-wing newspapers would say, "Careful, we're we're um, reaching a red line, and uh, now uh, we're talking about democracy and not about independence anymore." Uh, but most of the mainstream media um, think it's a necessary step because Catalans have breached the legality in Spain. The international media, I think, is more um, worried about uh, the latest events and. Uh, if I mean, I look a lot at the UK media, but also I've been told by friends who are in Germany about the German media, and it's portrayed in a way that they think it's quite, it's it's very worry, um, worrying, that uh, what is happening right now.
5: Mira Borrell, thank you for your time and phoning in from London.
8: Okay, thanks to you for the interest.
5: Residents of Catalonia will, at least as of now, head to the polls on October first. They'll decide what the future of Catalonia will be. In the meantime, we're likely to see pushback from the Spanish government. We'll have the latest on the international section of uscannenbergmedia.com. For Annenberg Media, I'm Ryan Thompson.
0: Attend any USC event and you'll see Trojans with two fingers in the air. Here's Devon McCray and Bradley Burma with today's Trojan Tales.
13: Flash two fingers, palm out.
11: Your index and middle fingers form a V.
13: Make this sign to any Trojan?
11: As we did at the campus tailgate.
13: And odds are you'll get the same in return.
11: The V sign means victory. It means
3: fight on. So it's victory, it's pride.
11: But where did the V for victory sign come from before it came to USC?
13: A common explanation is the ancient Romans.
11: Yeah, it's a little gruesome. According to lots of sources online who cited the Iliad, Romans would taunt their defeated enemies after cutting off their middle and forefingers to keep them from using a sword or bow.
13: Uh, no. This is Greg Thalman. He's a professor of classics and comparative literature and the head of the classics department at USC. One of his specialties is the Iliad. No one in the Iliad cuts off the fingers of a defeated enemy.
11: We heard a similar story about medieval English soldiers.
13: But again, not true.
11: We do know that the symbol was used in World War II. That we can confirm.
13: Right. As the story goes, it was from Winston answer, Churchill.
14: One word, victory. And that story is
11: only partially true.
13: Yeah, according to a book, The Field Guide to Gestures, it was actually a Belgian lawyer in 1941 who devised an international symbol against the Nazis. He went with the V since it's the first letter of victory in English, Flemish, and French.
11: The BBC immediately picked up on it, and Churchill made it popular.
13: But how did it get to USC? For that, we called Jim Eddy.
11: He's been spending time on campus since the 1930s. We asked him if he remembered when the gesture first arrived on campus.
15: I would suspect it was probably in the World War II era when we had thousands of Navy cadets on
11: campus.
15: They overwhelmed the whole university.
11: So we think soldiers returning from World War II brought the V for victory to USC. And then in the 1960s, it was adopted by the hippies as the peace sign.
13: The one thing we can confirm are the feelings it evokes in fellow Trojans, such as Jim Eddy.
15: Wherever you go, there's a Trojan, and if you, you know, fight on and give them the V signal, your buddies... Whatever you need, somebody will
11: help you out. It's funny. The fight on symbol, V for victory, that it's the same gesture as the peace sign.
13: And it's almost like they mean the complete opposite of one another.
11: But they don't.
13: Right. Unity. And love. As long as it's for your fellow Trojans.
11: Right. Fight on.
13: Fight on. For Annenberg Media, I'm Bradley Bermont.
11: And I'm Devon McRae.
0: Serena Ho and Rebecca Chin also contributed to that story. Now it's time to hear from Heritage, our weekly sports segment. This week, Annenberg Media's Jazz King sat down with Christian Rector, USC's football defensive standout.
6: USC redshirt sophomore Christian Rector is starting to make a name for himself. Defensive lineman had a huge strip sack in overtime last week against Texas that ended up leading to the game-winning field goal. But Rector... Just looking to fit in when he first decided to get on the field.
10: I never played tackle football until I started freshman year at Loyola. Because that's just the thing I really did, you know. Because you come in early during the summer and you, you train and you make friends that you're going to have going into the school year. So that was big. Just, I kind of just joined football just to make friends.
6: He was a force to be reckoned with early in his career. and He started to get attention from schools across the nation.
10: At the end of junior year, I started getting offers. And so that's when it took off and I knew I could play football to the next level.
6: Unlike most guys his age. It wasn't a huge fan of the recruiting process. I mean,
10: you just get tons and of tons of, of mail, and some people love it. Some people, I understand that. It's great. And, uh, and you've got people calling you all the time, and, and but when you have your mind made up and you have some place that you really want to go, you know, you
6: kind of commit early and, and go with your gut. Lucky for the Trojans, Rector's family had some history at USC. Both his mom and grandmother graduated from the school, but Rector still wanted to take his time to make a decision.
10: I wanted to view my options, you know, see what, what was the best fit for me. And it really did end up being USC. You know, there's no place I'd rather be. It was really a dream come true.
6: Rector ended up redshirting his freshman year, saying his goal during the season was to put on some size. And trust me, he did just that, gaining 25 pounds. Now, the big win against the Longhorns was sort of a coming out party for the lineman. He had nothing but respect for a tough Texas team.
10: They were a good team, and, and, and we knew every, we, had to, we we couldn't get let up every any, any down. You had to give maximum effort every single time.
6: The Trojans are sitting at 3-0 and riding a 12-game winning streak dating back to last season. Coming up, though, this weekend, a big game against another in-state rival. The undefeated 3-0 California Golden Bears rector is staying focused on what his team has to do to get the W.
10: I mean, the call season's our home, and that's where that's where we feel comfortable. But going on the road, you know, it's, it's a business-like mindset. You know, you're going there for one reason. You're not going there to enjoy the Bay Area and and have fun. No, you're going there to, to get a win and and get that 1-0 and for the week.
6: Kickoff is at 12:30 in the afternoon on Saturday. Brandenburg News, I'm Jazz King.
0: That's it for from where we are today. Today's show was produced by Norhan Mutmoon. We had help today from Stuart Gill and Jose Cardenas. We'd also like to say happy birthday to our board operator, Chris Perfect. I'm Nadia Caldwell.